you guys are clearly here for podcasting. Podcasting, awesome, good times. Okay, so I think we're going to get started, and then if other people show up, then other people show up. And I'm going to try to make this a little bit bigger, but hopefully I'll still be able to see the questions as they come in. Okay. So yeah, this is uh, Tech Talk at the library podcasting. My name is Ryan, and that's me with a baby tiger. Uh, I've been podcasting for almost 10 years. I started on New Year's Eve of 2005, so coming up on 10-year anniversary. Uh, my original podcast site was Liberator, and then I started using that screen name, and so then it just kind of stuck. It was supposed to be the audio liberation front, but that was way too long for a domain name, so I just shortened it. And then I couldn't get a domain name, so that's liberator.net was the one I could get at the time. Uh, I also do website development stuff with a software called Drupal, and I do some theater things. I do photography. I actually help out at the Orlando Fringe Festival. I'm doing some of their social media stuff this year. Um, I was at a co-working space called Urban Rethink that was downtown, and open source software. We could talk about all this stuff for a really long time. We're here to talk about podcasting. So I'm going to give you some of my podcasting history. The very first podcast I ever did, it was a very tongue-in-cheek kind of show where just me and my friend Emily sat on the couch and ate food on the air and talked about whatever we wanted. But some of the really cool things that we had were like local musicians would come and sit in the living room and play us a song live that they're getting ready to release on a CD. And then we would have a jam session during the show. And we just kind of set up microphones you know, on the coffee table and didn't really care that much about the sound quality. It was all about what's the conversation that was going on. And, and I really wanted to sound like you were sitting in the room with us while we were hanging out. And so that was the first show that we did. Uh, it lasted for a couple of years, and then it, it pod faded is the word we use for that. And then I launched a whole bunch of other shows. And most of these don't even have six or seven episodes. Some of them uh, went on for a while because they had co-hosts. They're either about music or films, or one of them was a web comic, so not technically a podcast, but a lot of the same principles apply there. Um, I would go and record a live band at the back booth and then put up a copy of the live show. It, I tried a little bit of everything. Um, I even tried doing video for a little while, so there's a picture of me with a video camera and my friends Becky and Michelle. Uh, one of the podcasts I did was related to a meetup that I host, which is called the Florida Creatives Happy Hour. And so I would take people that I met at the meetup and just ask them about themselves and find out sort of like what was interesting to them, what was their inspiration. And I think we posted close to 20 episodes of that before I kind of stopped doing it. Um, we still have the meetups, though. It's eight years afterwards, and we get together once a month somewhere in Orlando. We're on meetup.com. If you remember that, it's called Florida Creatives. You can find it. Uh, so that was really neat. The one that I've been doing for the longest that's still going, still has lots of listeners. It's called the Drupal Easy Podcast. It's very, very techy. It's about building websites with this software called Drupal. We get probably upwards of 5,000 regular listeners, depending on who our guest is at th that week. And there's myself and three other guys that we all do the show. Uh, one, one accomplishment here was just recently we did our first like comedy episode. So for April Fool's Day, we put out uh, a lot of song parodies that I had written and recorded, some little comedy sketches. They're all inside jokes. If you don't know anything about Drupal, you'll not get any of them. I tried to play them for my girlfriend. And she was like, very nice, dear. This is, this is nice. Um, two other ones that I have that are pretty active right now. One is called Bringing Art and Technology Together, which is pretty self-explanatory. And the other one is called Our Yellow House, which is sort of sprung out of doing stuff at Urban Rethink, co-working, be involved in community events. Um, and if you look back at the first slide, all the things that I started podcast about are all the things that are my favorite things, right? All the things that are my hobbies. It should not be a big surprise. And then there's theater. Um, I got involved in the Orlando Fringe Festival not as a theater producer or as an actor, but as somebody who's trying to capture some of those stories around the festival. 
And now they've asked me to be officially part of the festival. I get a staff pass and everything, so it feels really cool. Um, this podcast I'm doing, I'm actually going to be posting an episode of it today during the show, uh, during this talk, if I can get that all worked out and we have enough time. Um, and this is, this is one where I do a lot of experimentation. We have invented a lot of new like social media memes that really only matter to this community, but one of them is called the Fringe Crush. We go around and we ask different people at the festival sort of goofy, sexy questions and put them up on YouTube and gets a lot of people paying attention to it. And this is the only podcast I've done that's actually ever won an award. And there's a picture of me and my friends getting the award at the festival. It's we're the fringe of the fringe award. It was like the thing at the fringe festival that you didn't expect to be at a theater festival. So that felt really good too. So that's, that's my podcast history and all the rest of the stuff is going to be the real in the weeds, nuts and bolts kind of stuff. So here we go. Um, we're going to cover a couple of different sections at the end. I'm going to do a demo of some of the things I do to edit a show and how I actually publish a show. And, and this is going to be very specific to how I do things. This is not the only way to do things. And, you know, my ideas are not the only ways to do podcasts. Podcasts are like leaves on a tree. You, as long as you are doing it, you're doing it, right? Um, so this is the philosophy section. So does anybody here make something? And this is, I guess, a little interactive portion. Like, what's some, what, what, why are you here? Like, what's the thing you're making that you are interested in podcasting about? Or maybe you're already doing one. You just want to check it out. Okay. What's, what's your favorite thing? What's the thing you could talk to somebody about for the next four hours without stopping? Interior decorating. Okay, so then you make rooms, right? That's the thing you make. And so what if you wanted to go to somebody who was thinking about interior decorating? Maybe it's your peers. Maybe it's your former customers. Maybe it's potential customers. And what if you got an extra hour of conversation with them every week, right? Essentially, when we're talking about putting out a podcast, there's something, something to that is they may not be actively in the room with you, but everybody who's listening to that show is essentially thinking about whatever it is you're talking about for an extra hour every week. And by hitting that subscribe button, they're, they're, they're signing on and they're saying, like, this subject, I want to know about it. Like, how about on this side of the room? What's something that you make that you're interested in podcasting? Holistic living and being outdoors. Awesome, right? And I think, do, I mean, are you already subscribing to podcasts? So, so that's part of it too, right? You're looking for podcasts about that subject. So you might be one of those people that's thinking about it all the time, but you want to think about it and maybe get new information while you're thinking about it, right? Right in, right into your ear holes, right? Very cool. Okay, so we're going to cover a little bit of that too. How to subscribe? Um, so yeah, basically, right? How do podcasts work? This is from the producer's perspective. You know, there you are with your microphone, and you say in the microphone, "I like flags," right? We we're we're going to have fun with flags. We're going to talk about flags. Have anybody seen the Big Bang Theory? <laughs> All right. So on that show, he has a podcast and he talks about flags. Um, you record it, you edit the show, you upload it to a web server somewhere. Then you have a website and you hit the publish button. As soon as you hit the publish button, now you either have a feed that it goes out on. So if somebody is looking for it through the feed, and we'll talk about a feed, then they can find it on a store. So I can use my pointer, I guess. Um, after you publish it right, are they looking for it through the feed and are they subscribed? Okay, yes, then they're going to get it probably on their phone, right, as soon as they get there. Um, the other way is if they're not looking through the feed, they can just find it on your website, right? The neat thing about a podcast is it's kind of multimodal. You can get it on the web, you can get it on, an, on a podcasting app, or you could just, if you've got an iTunes application or something like that, you can actually just listen to all the podcasts directly through iTunes. You don't need to have a phone necessarily, right? So there's lots of different ways to get them. That's also one of the problems is there's lots of different ways to get them. So it can be a little bit challenging to describe to somebody, okay, well, do you have iTunes? Do you have a phone? Do you have a podcast app, right?
the, the basic thing is, right, what you got, you have an Android phone? So you can go and find an Android app that lets you subscribe to podcasts. Almost all of the podcasting apps will have a search feature built into it. If you know the name of my show is Blogging Fringe, then you can type in there, search for Blogging Fringe. Hopefully, it's in the directory. If it's not in the directory, you need to go to my website, copy and paste a link for the feed, and put that into your app. Right. If all else fails, you can go to my website, and you can download the episode directly. And then it's just an MP3 file, and you can listen to it however you like. right? But the ideal thing for me as the publisher is I want you to subscribe. I want you to have that app. I want you to have that experience so that every time I put out a new episode, once a week, once a month, whatever it happens to be, you now get that new episode downloaded. You can listen to it. right? And the, the cool thing about it is, Every time I make an update to the feed, anybody, anybody who's subscribed to it, you're checking probably once a day for new episodes. And it'll just put a little number up there. Bing, you have a new episode ready to download, ready to listen, right? So there's lots and lots of different apps that you can use. We're going to talk about a couple of them. Um, but if you're interested in the production part of it, basically, if you have a microphone, then you can, you can be a podcaster. And the really cool thing is, right, everybody has a microphone in their pocket now. You don't even need to go and spend money on fancy equipment, which we have some over here in the microphone petting zoo if you want to check it out later. Um, and the other cool thing I really like about podcasting and most things on the web is that there's really no difference between an amateur podcaster and a professional podcaster. We both have to jump through the same hoops in order to get people to know about our show, to subscribe to it, to listen to it, to give us feedback, and all that kind of stuff, right? This guy, he actually makes 40 hours of podcast every week in his $2 million studio, and his business makes like $10 million a year in revenue because he has advertisers and all this kind of stuff. But he also has 20 employees and uh, let's say 100 people that are his regular like guest hosts that he then has to you know, it's not $10 million just straight into his pocket, right? It's a whole operation. But um, yeah, Leo Laporte, he's, he may be the podcaster. If anybody's heard of any podcast, they might have heard of This Week in Tech. That's the guy right there. He's one of the big reasons why I'm involved in this hobby at all. Um, one thing I'm going to say about podcasting is you want to be consistent. You want to have a schedule, whatever it happens to be. If it's once a month, and then it's once a month. If it's once a week, then probably try to get it out on the same day every week. If it's every two weeks, again, be, be regular with it. People are going to start expecting that if, if they can get a new episode on Monday morning and then they get around and it's Monday morning and they go checking for a new episode, oh, it's not there. Maybe they forget about podcast altogether and they go away for six months and then they go, oh, yeah, what, what's been going on with that guy? And they come back and now there's like 10 new episodes. You know what I mean? It's... You, if, if, you, if you make a commitment, right, you're going to make, making a contract with your listeners, you want to deliver on that contract. Um, and another thing I'm going to say is, for me, if I ever got a podcast past episode six, then it was a good chance that I was going to get that podcast past episode 20 and past episode 50, right? If I can re reproduce this thing six times, it's not just a passing fancy. It's probably something that I want to keep up with. You know, I started so many podcasts when I was getting getting into this that I would get three episodes into something and I'd realize like I don't know what to do now. I've got these three things. I've talked to these three people. What's next? And it was just like a giant question mark. So I just stopped doing it. You know what I mean? Um, so I actually started up figuring out a way that I could set up a podcast without having to spend money. Right? Don't buy a domain name. Don't buy a new web hosting account, don't buy this, don't buy this, figured out a way to just put up a new podcast, try it out for a little while, and then realize that I wasn't as into it as I thought I was in the beginning, right? And that can happen. But you can pivot, and you can start a new show, or you can change the name of the show, or you could add a new person to the show. You know, you could add new theme music at the beginning, and maybe that changes the whole way that you, you have the conversation. Um, these are some pro tips, some things that I personally believe if you're going to put out a podcast that you want to know about, 
Um, one of them is show notes, that when you publish a show, right, it's going out as audio or it's going out as video. It's this recorded media. So all the things you're saying and all the things you're showing are sort of like locked in this file. They're not searchable. They're not clickable. So how, if I'm going to take that information, are you going to get it other than through your ears? You want to take some of it and translate it into text. Search engines can find it. And then the other thing that's important is a lot of places where people listen to podcasts is maybe in the car, at the gym. You know, they're, they're not at home. They're not sitting in front of the place where they normally do their web surfing. So you want to kind of record some of the pertinent information. They can come back to it later, right? So this is an example of show notes from one of our shows. We talked about this guy, Richard T. Jones, who was a poet. We talked about this guy, Mark with a C, who was playing the music that we played in our show, and a couple of other links that you might want to know about. And usually at the bottom of my show notes, I also always put, and our show has a Twitter account, and you can follow our Twitter account over here, and then we'll make a Twitter post every time we put out a new show. right? So just some of that like basic stuff, we put it in every episode. So if you go and you just land on one episode page instead of maybe on the home page, every episode page has all of the links. And it also has the, you can subscribe at the bottom of every page too. And it also makes a lot of sense that during your show, while you're doing the show, usually you do it maybe at the, at the top of the show and at the bottom of the show you'll say, and all the links and all the stories that we talked about, we made some show notes and we put them up on our website, bloggingfringe.com slash podcast, right? So you, you can go now and check out that, that page. And you can see, here's all the stuff that we just talked about. And if you want to click on a link, you want to watch that stupid YouTube video that we talked about, here it is. Um, this is something that I personally is a pet peeve of mine, that if you have a podcast page and you don't have a play button on the page, I feel like that's doing your potential subscribers a disservice. If you don't have a download link, I'm talking about public radio right now, they don't have download links on a lot of their pages because they want you to be able to play it. And they might even let you podcast it. But they just don't let you just download one file at a time because I guess they don't want you to like take all of their shows and put them on Dropbox somewhere. I don't really know why. Um, maybe there's a good answer, but I can't think of one from the perspective of the listener. Right? I want to be able to download that thing and put it on my hard drive and five years later go back and listen to that you know, live concert that they put up on the radio. That's really great. Um, and then the last one is put a link to your feed reasonably close to where you put the download link and the play link because you, you never know who's going to come by. You never know if they're a subscriber, right? Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit later when we get into the editing portion, but using the normalized feature of your audio editing application. So here we have three different pictures of a sound file. Okay, This one over here, this one has lots of segments. And you can tell that because it's kind of got like a loud part at the beginning, and then it's got like a less loud part here, and then like a quiet part, and then another loud part. right? The volume is jumping all over the place. And this whole entire file is 20 minutes long. So this, this section here is like the first 30 seconds is really loud. And then the next section is the next like two, three minutes. And it's not as loud as those first 30 seconds. So if you think about somebody listening to this on headphones, they're going to be listening to it. And then they're going to have to turn the volume up and turn the volume down. Turn the volume up. Turn, that's not a good experience. Okay. So that's the first one. With lots of segments, you want to make sure that the volume is somewhat consistent. The second one is if you recorded someone live, they might get closer to the microphone. They might get farther away from the microphone. They might start whispering. They might start talking loudly. Then you might have two different people. One of them talks really, really loudly. One of them talks quietly. So that's one reason why right, at a live concert, most people don't just gather around one microphone. They get everyone their own microphone because they can turn them up and down individually. Again, you don't have to do that, but if you have a lot of people and you know that one of them talks quietly, one of them talks loudly, you might want to take a look at that. Um, so again, here in this, this example, right here in the middle, for some reason, everybody got really, really loud, right? And this was a recording of a live theater performance. And then this one is clearly too quiet, right? If you just look at these other two, this is like normal volume, right? And then this one, for, for whatever reason, whoever published this show, they just forgot to hit the normalize button. And so for this show, I have to turn my volume way, way, way up, but then maybe I get a phone call 
and now I'm talking to somebody it's like, oh, I can't hear you because you're so loud, right? Um, this is a problem. You want to solve this problem. It's pretty easy to do. Um, the other one is about some people, they just do whatever the default settings are and they publish their podcast as a stereo file, meaning it's got a separate left channel and a right channel. But most of the time, those two channels are exactly the same. So now you're actually just giving me double the amount of bits when I download the file. If you make it into a, a monaural file, meaning it's just got one channel, you're, every player that I've ever used knows what to do with a mono file, and it just plays that same channel to both ears. Right? Stereo is really intended for like music or uh, movies or things where the, the two sound channels want to be separated. You don't, if you just have, have people talking and voices, you don't really need to do that. Now, if you have a show where music is part of the content, obviously keep it in stereo. But you've got half the file size, and it'll download faster. Your web hosting bill will be smaller. Everyone will be happy. Right? It will take up less space on the person's iPod when they download the file, too. So they can keep more of your shows around for longer. And um, one of the last ones is that whenever you publish an MP3 file, there's a section of the MP3 that's called the ID3 tags. These are just little pieces of information that says, this is the name of the song. This is the name of the person who wrote the song. This is the name of the album that the song is on. This is the track number. And podcasts tend to use these pretty liberally. Um, and then another one is that you can actually put a little image file in there for the album art. So for your podcast, when someone is playing it, instead of just showing like a little picture of headphones, it will show either your face or maybe your show has a logo right over here. All of my shows like this, bringing arts and technology together, I just make a little slide and it make it a square. They're always a square, pretty much. And then I use that as the album art for my shows. It's really easy to do. It takes you an extra two minutes and it improves the experience for the people that are downloading it that much more. Okay, so I think that was the whole philosophy section. Yes. Does anybody have any questions up to this point? RSS feed. RSS stands for really simple syndication. It is a computer readable format. So, like, right, a web page is built out of HTML which is a human readable format. You actually, you can look at the rendered HTML file and you understand what it does. An RSS is really only for computers, but every, every podcast needs one and every podcast has one, right? And if you don't have one, then you're probably just putting audio files up on a blog somewhere and you could be doing more. Um, there was a radio show that you can hear on the local stations, it's called Florida Frontiers. And it's about Florida history, and every week they have another really interesting topic that's going on, history person. Um, but they take all the shows that they record, and then they put them up on the website, and they were just missing that RSS feed piece. So actually, while I was getting ready for this talk, I was going and looking around for interesting podcasts. I found that, and I said, hey, I can't get your, your show into my podcast app. I actually know of an app, which I think actually is covered on the tools section, since you asked about it. Oh yeah, here it is. It's called HuffDuffer. HuffDuffer lets you take any audio file that you can find on a, on a web page, and you can put the, the MP3 link into HuffDuffer, and it will build a customized feed for you out of all of those MP3 files. So if I ever find a podcast page where they didn't put out an RSS feed, I go to huffduffer.com and I can put all the MP3 links in there. It's really neat. So there are things like that. And actually, Huffduffer just this week, Jeremy released a version of it for YouTube videos. So he will get the URL for the YouTube video and he'll take the video out and he'll just let you download the audio file off of YouTube. Because there's so many things like TED Talks are a really great example. A lot of them are on YouTube, but there's not really anything going on on the screen. There's just a guy standing there going, this is really important. So you can get those now as audio through HuffDuffer. Yeah, question. Does it work for iTunes? Yeah, HuffDuffer, you can take, so basically what you do with HuffDuffer is you could subscribe to somebody else's feed, like you could subscribe to all the things that I thought were interesting, 
or you can make your own. You make an account, and you just put an MP3 link into it, and then it, that's the next episode of your, your own personal podcast. And technically, I guess you could use that to make a podcast as well, but it's really intended for you to find other files that you didn't make and turn those into your own private podcast, right? Um, but yeah, and then you can take that and put it on an iPhone. You can put it on anything that subscribes to podcasts. Another question. Um, I don't know if I'm comparing apples and oranges, but um, are there monetization reasons why one why podcasting is better or not from YouTube? Okay, so yeah, the question is. For, for monetary reasons, is there a reason why you'd want to do a podcast versus putting out a YouTube video? I, I'm going to say that I personally am just a fan of the format, right? When I want information, I don't want a bite-sized amount of information. I want to get a lot of information, and I want to get it wherever I want, whenever I want, right? Video, if I start playing a YouTube video and I want to listen to it, my phone doesn't let me turn off the screen. As soon as I turn off the screen, the video stops playing, right? So as soon as I get in my car, or I start mowing the lawn, or I start walking the dog, I can't be doing this and walking the dog at the same time watching the video. I have to put it in my pocket. So uh, what I would say is, if you if you are doing YouTube videos, it's really, really easy to just take the audio file out of that and put it onto SoundCloud is one of the tools we're going to talk about as well, right? Put it out as both. It doesn't really take any extra time, and it's totally worth it. So, and that also will force you, if you are putting up videos and audio, that you make it so that maybe there's somebody who's visually impaired that wants to watch your video, and they don't know that on the screen you're flashing a giant phone number because they can't see it, right? So podcasts are actually more accessible than videos. Cool. Are they, um uh, as YouTube has a monetization. YouTube has monetization, yeah. Right. Well, there's a new feature of YouTube as well that it's built into the platform that your subscribers can donate money to you directly through YouTube now. Um, for pretty recent. Uh, so for podcasts, well, it's on my list as well. So let me get back to the list, and we will definitely get some of your questions answered, I think. Did I see any more hands? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's come back to that. But um, yeah, question about legal stuff, for sure. And there's also somebody in the room that I know can answer your questions way better than me. But um, I'm not going to mention any names. So this is the tool section. We already kind of got into this a little bit, but um, right, as many ways as there are to publish a podcast, are as many ways as there are to make a web page, which is pretty much infinite. I like Drupal. Um, a lot of people may have heard of WordPress. Have you heard of WordPress? A couple of people? All right. Um, maybe Squarespace also I've heard is a decent way to put out a podcast and just make a website in general. Um, then there are some really specialized tools that are just for podcasting. One of them is called Libsyn. It stands for Liberated Syndication. It's actually a WordPress site, but it has a couple extra little tools where you pay them five bucks a month, and then you get, I think it's like 100 megabytes of disk space. And every month, they reset your quota back to 100. So they take whatever you have uploaded last month, and they put that in the archive. And then they say, OK, now you're not allowed to upload more than 100 megabytes this month. And then next month, that's all in the archive. Now this month, you get 100 again, right? So you can just keep going. If you need more space, you can pay for more space, right? Uh, almost every podcast I can think of uses Libsyn for their hosting because it's just so dead simple and easy. Um, I don't, but that's because I'm a nerd, and I also started doing podcasting before Libsyn existed, so it wasn't an option for me, and so I just never got into it. Um, SoundCloud, people heard of SoundCloud? Totally worth your time to check out. It is more for music than most things, but basically it is the YouTube of audio. You make an account, you put up an audio file, 
You can then take that audio file and get embedded onto other sites. People can leave you comments. A really neat feature that SoundCloud has that YouTube doesn't really have is somebody could go in at like three minutes into your track and they could leave a comment just right there at three minutes and be like, wow, I really like what you said about this. Or in the case of music, I love it when it comes to this section, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, so it's a really neat site. Um, you could subscribe to other people's channels. A lot of podcasts use SoundCloud as well. There's a website called The Nerdist that puts out a lot of really good podcasts. They use SoundCloud for their podcasts. There's a feature in SoundCloud. You have to email, email the site and say, I would like an RSS feed. But SoundCloud will give you an RSS feed. It's just not like officially a feature of SoundCloud because they don't want everybody to have one. Um, Blueberry, which is missing some letters on purpose, that is a, a hosting site, and it also gives you really good statistics to let you know who's downloading your site. I think there's also a way that if you have your own site, you can still use Blueberry for the statistics and the, and the downloading part. I, I personally haven't used it. I think it's also built on WordPress. PodPress is if you are a self-hosted WordPress, like if you already have a WordPress site, you already know how to install plugins, PodPress is a plugin that lets you do podcasting stuff with WordPress, but I think they also have a paid service now. Um, and one last one is called PodTrack. If you are interested in the monetization part of it, you're selling ads on your podcast, you want to know exactly how many people downloaded the show and that kind of stuff, um, PodTrack is it's essentially an advertising service for podcasters. And they give you all these sort of like special little tools. You have to you have to put our link up as the MP3 file, not your link, because otherwise we don't know who clicked on the link, right? Um, so those are some hosting things. Uh, we're going to talk about recording, but pretty much sound recording is one of the oldest things that we've ever done with computers. So there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different sound programs. One that is really easy to use, is definitely free, and is open source, which I like a lot, is called Audacity. It has any feature you could think of. It was actually written by scientists to study people's voices and like studying sound as a science. So it's a really neat tool. I use a thing called Sound Studio, which is a paid program on the Mac App Store. Um, Adobe makes a program called Audition, which you can get on pretty much everything. Uh, I remember who makes SoundForge. I want to say it's Avid makes SoundForge. That's on pretty much everything. When I first got started, I used to use Audacity, and sometimes I would use QuickTime if Audacity would crash. And I think it would crash because it was my computer, not because Audacity crashes. But um, just QuickTime. It's just got a record button. It doesn't have any fancy features. Just hit record, hit stop. That's it. Um, sometimes people do podcasts over the internet, like with a remote person, use Skype for that. So if you're doing a podcast over Skype, there's a for Windows, there's a program called Pamela, which I have used. It's great. Um, for Mac, there's a program called Skype Call Recorder made by a company called Ecamm, also great. Um, Skype is great. It's free. Everybody pretty much has it. Lately, when I've been doing podcasts with the theater people, and I say, do you have Skype? They all say yes. It's really some of the best sound quality you can get if you're doing that remote stuff. It's not super great for video. It's OK for video. The program I have, it will record the video, but it's, that's not really why you use Skype. If you want to go to YouTube, if you want to do video, Google has a product called Google Hangouts. I'm actually using it right now to publish this show live, and there are six people watching. Hello, six people watching. Um, this lets you go directly live to YouTube. You get a link that says youtube.com slash whatever, and that people can watch it live while you're doing it, and that it will also record it so they can watch it afterwards. You have to install a plugin on your browser, which usually for someone you have might have remote is like, okay, there's this one extra step. You have to install this plugin and then restart your browser. So sometimes that can slow down getting the show going if you're working with new people. Um, it does really neat things too, which is lets you make a little thing at the bottom of the video that's called a lower third. So whenever I'm talking, it will say Ryan Price at the bottom of the screen. And whenever somebody else is talking, it will say Julian Chambliss at the bottom of the screen. It's really fun. You have a question. Yes. Um, what's the major difference Google Hangouts versus Ustream? Um, Ustream, it's, it's out there. It works really well. The major difference, I mean, one goes directly to YouTube. 
Ustream does cost something, but yeah, I mean, Ustream has advertising stuff built in. They have a really great chat program. Um, it's not a huge difference, right? I mean, they're Ustream though, right? The only thing that Ustream does is live streaming of events, right? You go to a conference or you go to a rock concert and they could have the Ustream logo up there like, we're Ustreaming this. Only pretty recently have you seen, this is going directly to a Google Hangout. Like that's not as prominent as Ustream. Um, if you do video game stuff, then it's Twitch TV, which is almost exactly the same thing as Ustream, but it's only for people who do video games. So, you know, so, so basically, it's the same thing. Basically, it's the same. Yeah. Would you say Ustream has better quality? Would you, would you say that? Would I say the Ustream has better quality? I mean, Google is pretty awesome. Uh, I don't know that the one is better than the other. The thing about Google is Google's trying to enable you to, to have a video chat between multiple people. Ustream says, Whatever video source you have, like let's say it was here and there was a camera pointed at me from way over there, that camera, there's a thousand ways to get that camera into Ustream. The Google Hangouts is really about, I've got these three people that are in different parts of the globe and I want to get all three of them to have a video, video conference with each other. You just happen to be able to stream it. Ustream, if you're doing a live event, if you're doing a concert, if you're doing a conference, um, what's, I mean, what's the thing you're making videos of? All right, so a concert, right? You put a video camera at the back of the concert, and that video camera, Ustream actually partners with a lot of different companies. Like, uh, there's a company called Livestream. There's, you know, a, a box you can get that hooks up to cell phone towers. That's called a Live U that you can then stream things directly to. Pick your favorite service. Um, Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Pat. So yeah, you, Ustream is really for broadcasters, right? And Google Hangouts is used by broadcasters, but it's not just for them. So um, the other thing is, right, Ustream probably has a salesperson that wants to help you solve whatever problem you might be having with their service. Google Hangouts, they have some of those people, but um, maybe not as many, right? Because they're focused on seven different things. Google, Google does, they have their hands in everyone's pie. Right? Ustream only has their hands in these people's pie. Um, and the last one is, right, sometimes you just got to go to the phone. But if you're going to do it over the phone, you can call someone from Google Hangouts on their phone. You can call someone from Skype on their phone. Um, if you are going to end up doing something like this, there's a trick that public radio uses. They call the double ender, where I record a, a pure sound file on my end. You record one on your end. And then at the end, we get an intern to stitch them together. If you don't have an intern, then that might make your day a lot longer. And um, secondly, if you have more than two people, you basically don't want to do it because it just takes a long time to make sure everybody's sounds are all matching up. And it, I've personally never done it. That's, that's how much I think of the double ender is I've never done it. I think that Skype is just fine. There's plenty of times when Skype hiccups and you sound like a robot, you know, it's, it's terrible, but more often than not, it's totally worth it to go with Skype or with Google Hangouts. Um, so we talked a little bit about how to find podcasts and sort of how to measure podcasts. So HuffDuffer, great tool. I use a product called FeedBurner. They got apply, uh, acquired by Google. So who knows if they're ever going to shut it down. They might shut it down tomorrow. So I did look into, well, if, if Google ever did stop doing FeedBurner, what would I use? a product called FeedPress, which basically lets you know how many people clicked on the download link for my podcast, right? That's what both of those tools are really good for. And this is a little graph coming out of FeedBurner that says, on this day, you had 103 subscribers. 42 of them are email subscribers. So that's a neat thing is FeedBurner will let people subscribe to your podcast as though it was an email newsletter, which is really neat. I think FeedPress will let you do that as well. 36 of them were using a tool called NetVibes, which I don't think exists anymore. Five of them were on iTunes. These three people were using a Java-based feed reader, which I think most of the podcast clients have gotten better about that recently. So they'll tell you on what device is everyone downloading your podcast from. This is actually a really old screenshot. I should have made a new one. Um, and then if you've never heard of Google Analytics or Google Webmaster Tools, just know that those things exist. And in true podcast fashion, 
at the end of the show, I'm going to tell you where you can get all of these links. Because I wouldn't make you want to write down them all or take a photo of every single screen. And all these links, when I give you the slideshow, they're all clickable. Okay. Um, how do you subscribe to a podcast? If you're on an iPhone, Apple makes their own podcasting app, which everybody uses a lot, but it's not really the best one, but it's out there. Um, I'm on an Android phone, and I use a program called Dogcatcher, which is, I've been using it. I paid for it. I think it's great. Um, Overcast and Downcast, I think, are both iPhone only. Pocketcast, I think, does both iPhone and Android, and they also have a web app, web app version. Um, iTunes is still the king of the podcasting land. If you want to find a podcast, guaranteed it's on iTunes, and then you could find the feed and copy it into another application if you can't find the feed, right? Um, Miro is an open source product that also does video subscriptions, which I, I just really like the interface for it. It's kind of designed for you to sit back and like use it on a television instead of on your computer. And then there's Stitcher. Stitcher is kind of like this third wheel that's over here. A lot of people use Stitcher, and you can get your podcast listed on Stitcher pretty easily now. It used to be very hard. You used to have to like prove that you had a lot of listeners before Stitcher would list you. But now you can apply yourself, and you usually get approved pretty quickly. Um, so the idea with iTunes and with Stitcher is you send them a little message with your feed and a description of your show, and you tell them whether or not it's you know, adult content because they want to make sure that they're not letting kids subscribe to things that have swear words or other adult content in them. And then uh, they put it into their directory. Most podcast apps will have a way to submit to get into their directory. If it's only just emailing a guy who lives in Germany and saying, hey, why isn't my podcast listed on your directory? Um, so whatever the, with the app happens to be, if you have someone you know, call you or email you or whatever it is, and I was using blah, 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 and I couldn't find your show, there's a way to get in touch with the person who makes it so you can get it listed. We have 15 minutes left, so I'm going to try to keep going. Um, then there's the whole thing of promoting your podcast. This is essentially a very, very quick class on social media, right? You can use Facebook. But please use Facebook pages. Don't use Facebook users to make something for a brand name. Because I don't want to become friends with your podcast. I want to become a fan of your podcast, right? There's a mistake a lot of people make. And it's a personal pet peeve of mine. Twitter is great if the people that you are trying to reach are on Twitter, which very likely there's a lot of people that you want to reach that are on Twitter. Um, Google Plus, not that many people use it, but from nerdy, techie people, a lot of people use it. So it depends on what your subject matter is. Again, don't make a Google account for your podcast. Make a Google page. They call it brands for your podcast. Um, again, depending on who your audience is, Pinterest could be really useful. And then there's two things that I mentioned here for raising money. One is Kickstarter, which is like, I want to raise money to produce the next five episodes of my show. It has to have a distinct starting and ending date. It has to have a distinct deliverable in order for Kickstarter to approve you. But then there's another thing that's called Patreon. And Patreon says, every time I publish a new episode of my podcast, I would like if you would pledge to give me a dollar, or 50 cents, or 10 cents, or whatever it happens to be. And then if you, out of your account, spend more than $3 in the month, you don't pay me anymore. So even if I publish 15 episodes in a month, you've only ever agreed to give me $3 a month. So it's, it's kind of like a win-win for everybody. And it's also a win for the people who made Patreon because they get to take a little slice off the top, right? Patreon, a lot of podcasts use it. This screenshot comes from Patreon where this is a guy that's doing something clearly very outdoorsy. And he's got 10, 10 people who have agreed to give him as many as $30 every time he makes the next episode. And then here's a person who's got 1,100 people that have agreed to give him as much as $3,600 every time he puts out a new episode. It's not guaranteed he's going to get it because those people might have all used up their budget for the month. But potentially, he could get $3,600 the next time he puts out a video or puts out a whatever. And then these guys, it says $72. So right, that would be OK with me. That's pizza money, right? 
Um, so, so these are all tools of promoting and possibly getting some money. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about hardware, although I want to speed through this part because we're never going to get to the demo part or maybe more questions. This guy right here, this is called the Zoom H1. If you want to do an audio podcast or pretty much sound of any kind and you have little to no money, this is one of the best things you can get. It does stereo sound. You can plug external microphones into it. You can plug a SD card into it so you can keep swatch, swapping out new cards. It's got replaceable batteries, and it has a USB cable. So you can use this as a USB microphone, which several of the next things I'm going to mention are USB microphones. But this does everything, and it has a tripod mount on the bottom. So you can just mount it on a little tiny tripod on your desk, and there it goes. With all of these, I recommend you use a pop filter or a windscreen or something because you don't want to talk. Every time you say a T or a P or a D into this, it just goes You don't want that to happen. Pretty much every microphone has that problem. Some are better than others, but just get one of those little foam balls and put it over this. If you really, really need to, just get a sock. Put a sock over it, right? This is my very highly visible sock. Okay, that sock, oh this, uh, 50 to $80. How about the sock? I don't know. Versus using your phone. Um, they're all gonna be a little bit different. One thing that the Zoom does is it lets you do this uh, like automatic level adjustment. So if you don't, if you don't know what it's going to sound like, you didn't plug in headphones and make a test recording first, then you could put on that automatic sound adjustment. And if somebody's talking really, really quietly, it will raise the gain up to try and figure out. But if you have things that are changing very rapidly, it's not going to work that well because it'll it'll be quiet a little bit and then it'll start getting louder and then it'll get a little bit quieter. So usually you want to record at something that's a pretty low volume and then fix it in post, right? Fix it at the end. Um, the thing you never ever want to do is get a sound level that's what we call peaking, that back here when we were looking at the graph, where was the graph? At the bottom of this. As soon as you go over this line right here, you cannot ever get that information back. So that's a problem. So whatever it is, you want it to be quieter than the loudest thing that your, your thing can record. Um, back on hardware. This is really fun. I don't know where it went. Might be on the table over here. Might be in my pocket. OK. I keep this in this little Advil container, because otherwise I'll lose it. It is this big. It plugs into your phone. And it's definitely a better microphone than your phone has. And it's kind of designed that if you're sitting in a big lecture hall like this, you can just put it on the countertop. And it's, it's picking up so much of the room sound that you'll probably be able to, to get it. We were at an event um, at the beginning of the week where the guy was you know, standing 50 feet away from me. And I could put this down. And I could still pick up pretty much everything he was saying. It's, it's really kind of almost designed for like college students that want to record the teacher's lecture or something like that. I've used this, though, where you have two people sitting at a table. You put this down on the table. You don't put it near either person. You just kind of put it in the center of the table, and it kind of picks up everybody pretty much equally. A little bit like a yeah, a, bit, a little bit like a boom mic. This the pickup pattern on this is omnidirectional, is what they call it. This is like thirty dollars. This is the by far the cheapest. Um, it's right here on the screen. Edutage. It's called the iMicrophone. Um, this is the number one podcasting microphone right now. It's made by a company called Blue Microphones. It's called the Snowball. It looks about like a baseball with legs on it. Um, it plugs directly into USB. That's all it does. It just works. Um, also, Blue Microphone makes this microphone right here, which is called the Yeti. It's the big brother of the Snowball. And it has a dial on the back of it that lets you switch from there's one person talking to there's two people on either side of it that's also doing like stereo sound. There's um, a mode that's kind of an omnidirectional pattern. 
So it has four different modes that you can switch between depending on what you want to do. If you know anything about microphones, this is a, uh, nope, can't remember what the name of it is, but basically there's three, three microphone capsules in here, and depending on which ones they have higher or lower or which ones they take slightly out of phase, it does like noise canceling is how, why, why that knob does anything. Yeah, regularly this microphone costs like $150. She got it for about half off, so she's the best. That's Mariah. She's awesome. Um, this microphone, I used a version of it to do almost every podcast I ever made um, until I got the Yeti because the Yeti is just like plug it in and go. Um, it's a company called MXL. When I first went to go buy a microphone, I didn't want to buy a crappy microphone. So this is like the thing that it costs fifty to a hundred dollars, but it still sounds pretty good. Um, it looks a little bit like this. So it also plugs directly into USB. But the thing about these is this is a condenser microphone. It uses what's called a cardioid pickup pattern. If you have a noisy room, it's going to pick up all of the noise in the room. This is not doing noise canceling. But it makes your voice or your guitar or your drum or whatever it is sound pretty cool because it's, it's a better pickup pattern than maybe that little one that plugs into my phone, right? So. But you need to have a quiet room for those. Um, the SM58, I know, is in this bag somewhere. I don't know where it is. Anyway, um, this is the microphone that if anyone has ever owned a microphone, they probably own one of these. You can use this thing to hammer in nails, is what everyone will tell you. They just never die. Um, every stage you go to at the House of Blues, they probably have 10 of these just sitting in the back, just in case they need one more microphone. They just work. There's nothing really special about it. Some of them have an on-off switch. That's the feature with an on-off switch. Um, this is the thing also made by Zoom that made that little tiny recorder. This is like the big granddaddy version of it. You can switch out the microphones. You can get phantom-powered microphones. And you can record. We were talking about you, know, you don't want to go peaking. This actually records a loud version and a quiet version of every track so that even if it goes and peaks, you always have that quiet version that it will never peak because it's recorded at such a low volume. You can always amplify it later, right? It costs like $400. It's ridiculous. It does everything. And then this thing right here, this thing has saved my butt more times than I can count. It just has RCA in and out. So there have been times when I was like at a show and I wanted to get something into my computer, and the guy is like, my board only has RCA. Uh, I only have XLR cables. What the heck do I do? This costs, I think, $20, and has a USB on one end of it. You can get a microphone, um, sorry, headphones out of it. You can get two ins and two outs. I actually use this if I want to play music through something so that people on Skype can hear it, but so that it's not playing back through Skype so that I'm getting feedback, I can get one going out of the left channel and one going into the right channel. And I use the mixer to say, OK, only record the left channel over here and only record the right channel over here so I don't get feedback. So this is very important to if I'm trying to do like playing live music or a multi-microphone setup, or I have some people in the room and some people on Skype, this is really great. And it has zero sound drivers, which is there's lots of other things that do what this does, but this one is the only one that doesn't have drivers. OK, that's it. That's the whole hardware section. We're running out of time very rapidly. Um, so I'm just going to go to the last slide first, which is if you can remember that my name is Ryan Price, you can follow me on the Twitter, and I will send out a tweet that says, this is the place where all my slides are. From the tech doc, here are my slides. Okay, so officially on Twitter. So that part's done. This is where you get all the notes for the show. Now, if I can, I'll show you a little bit about how I publish a show and edit a show. Um, this is a website that I have, Blogging Fringe. I'm going to log into it. 
This is a Drupal site. Like I said, I like Drupal sites. I go to my content page, and I uh, old version of Drupal. Make a new blog post. Right? I give it a name like one of these, for example. On my on my website here, I have a lot of different categories. So one of them is for podcasts. One of them is for interviews. I can type some tags. The tags are really good because people that are out there, you know, doing a web search, they want to find information about shows from Canada at the Orlando Fringe. That's a one-woman show. That's a clown show. Whatever it happens to be, the tags really help with search engines and people know to find that kind of stuff. Um, then I actually have like a little formula that I go to one of my old podcasts where I have the player. See, here's the player. That little yellow bar right there. I'm branding it with my name, so I need to know everything's going to work out the way I want it to. Hello, and welcome to the Blogging Fringe podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Price. Okay, so there's the play button. There's the download button, right, right next to each other. And over here is the RSS feed button. That was what I was talking about. I want all three of those things to be on the same page. But when I'm going to make a new episode, I go to the old episode and I edit it because I already set all this stuff up kind of how I want. And I copy this, paste it into the new post. Then all I really have to do is change this picture, change this MP3 file, and change out the notes. And Usually what I'm doing is while I'm recording the show or right after I record the show, I just type up the notes right then as, as long as I have a couple more minutes to, to finish it up. So I take those and I copy and paste them in here. And then the last thing I do is I have to upload the sound file somewhere. So I upload the sound file. I get the link, put it in here, hit publish, and it looks like this. I was hoping I'd have a little bit more time, but I don't. So that's the very, very abbreviated version of how I publish a show. Once I do that, now as soon as that gets published on the feed, this is the feed burner version of the feed. Remember we were talking about RSS feeds are not human readable? Feed burner, one of the things it does is it makes your feed human readable. So it lets you put your album art over here on the side and it lets you put like a little thing here that says like, you want to subscribe on iTunes? There's the iTunes link right there. And then it will take the picture that I put up on the blog post and put it here so you can see it. And it also puts the play button right there. So FeedBurner makes the RSS feed way more human friendly. Um, you can see all the episodes that I've done recently. And then last but not least, if I go to iTunes, is it raining or is the air conditioner on? If you start doing podcasts, you start hearing crap like that all the time. So you go to the podcast section, you search iTunes store for blogging fringe, like that. And then there are my episodes. So again, you can play them right here from inside of iTunes, or you can hit the subscribe link, right? That's kind of what looks like in iTunes and different Different podcast directories, it'll look a little different. But every anything that you want to search for, you want to search for interior design. The thing about iTunes is it will it will search for movies about interior design. It will search for songs about interior design, unless you're specifically on the podcast tab. Now it will just show me there's a podcast called Interior Design by Femi Oho, whoever that is, on the Christ Fellowship podcast. And then there it is, it's an hour long. This one is only two minutes long, this one is 30 minutes long. So there they all are, right? I just, I could search for whatever concert, and now a whole bunch of different stuff will come up. To getting listed in any podcast directory is completely free, because otherwise nobody would do it. It's usually a pretty low cost thing to get into podcasting. Um, like I said, you already own a microphone, you already probably own a computer, or you can get one at the library, right? They actually have really great recording equipment here. They have two little sound isolation booths right back there. You see those black um, little things right there? They have a full-size recording studio. They might have other stuff, too. Um, they have a green screen room in this, in this building right here where we're sitting. 
it is 7.30, but I will have a time for a couple more questions if we have questions. And then, um, then they'll make us go. And uh, the whole entire library closes at 8 o'clock. So I was hoping that to go and get something to eat, maybe if people really, really had more questions, you might be able to follow us wherever we're going. <laughs> so do we have any questions right now? A lot of information, a lot of new information. Do you want to see how the normalize button works? Okay, copyrights and legal issues. So, uh, yeah, that's one thing I guess didn't really cover in a lot of my slides. Um, there's a website I really like. It is called Jam Endo, kind of like Nintendo. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, this lets people from all over the world upload songs to it, and then they will also say whether or not you can use this if you have a commercial enterprise or if you're allowed to remix the song or whatever it happens to be, right? Because a lot of times when somebody has an, a legal issue with something that you put on your podcast, it's because you took their music and you put it up, right? There are a lot, a lot, a lot of musicians that if you're putting up their music whole and complete, there's nothing overlapping the beginning, there's nothing overlapping the end, you're just inserting the song into the show, a lot of them don't care. That's not to say that they don't have a record contract somewhere that says that you're not supposed to do that, but I have several friends who do music podcasts and they would just take the song, put it up, and never got any takedown notices. Again, that's not to say that somebody's not going to send you one, but usually the first step is they send you a takedown. They say, hey, you did something wrong, you take it down, and we won't bother you anymore, right? They, they can do lots of scarier stuff, they can threaten lots of scarier stuff, but they're not going to get a lot of money out of most of the people in this room, so it might not be worth it for them. Again, that's not legal advice. I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying anecdotal evidence, as long as you don't edit the song, you're usually not going to make anybody angry. The one time when I did, I used the song off of Jamendo, I talked over it, and I cut half of it out for the beginning and half of it out for the end. The guy who wrote the song eventually found it because I did what I was supposed to do, and I put a link back to his page. He found it because I put that link back to his page, and he said, hey, you cut my song in half. You're not supposed to do that. Please, and this is literally what he said to me, please buy me new strings for my bass, and then we'll be okay. <laughs> so I basically bought him a $30 set of bass strings, and then he was happy. Um, YouTube has a Creative Commons music directory. Vimeo has a Creative Commons music directory that you can go and search out stuff like this. Um, those are the two I could think of off the top of my head. That should be a slide. I will actually add that slide if you go back to wherever it happened. If you go back to this page, I'm going to add a slide about places where I found free music. Um, I actually now have recently made a friend who owns a keyboard and a guitar, and he wants to record songs for me to do intros for the show. And I was like, yes, Tim, whatever you want. I, yeah. I'll talk to you for the next three hours. You're going to give me music for free. I love it. Um, so if you have friends that can make music for you, right? it doesn't even have to be super fantastic. It just has to have a little bit of something to it, because you're probably going to talk over it most of the time anyway. right? We got, um, for the Drupal show that I do, someone wrote a song, they're playing a guitar and a mandolin, and we just play it at about 10% you know, volume underneath at the, at the last minute of the show just while we're talking. And that's kind of like the cue to everyone, like, okay, we're going to be wrapping up soon. We're just going to be telling you all the stuff, like please subscribe to the show on iTunes, and please you know, check out our Twitter page. And That's how you know that the end of the show is coming. So we just start playing that, the theme music just underneath our voices, right? Um, and people love it, you know? People are like, where can I get the whole entire song? So we put up the entire song as one of the episodes. It's just, here is that song. If you want to listen to it, there's the thing that Marsha and Linda wrote for us. So, um, yep. Does that help? Okay. As far as, like, put playing, you know, some, a thing that somebody else said, if you're quoting them, the easiest thing to do is just say, 
I saw on this website, this guy said this thing. I'm going to put a link to it instead of actually embedding the thing into, right? Instead of embedding someone else's page, right? Because if you have a YouTube page, for example, and you put up 10 seconds of The Daily Show, they will take you down so fast. Uh, just because they don't like anybody putting up clips of their show. They just don't like it. Uh, so it's way better just to say, I saw this on The Daily Show. Here's the link to it, right? It's not really because you're doing anything wrong. It's just because they're grumpy. <laughs> They they own it, yeah. But they don't they don't want anybody to do anything with their content that they did not approve. Yeah, yeah, they're they're allowed to, but I don't like that they're grumpy, that's all. What's the best format to avoid going about finding out what your niche is? You know, you know what you want to do. How do you find your niche? Like how do you find an audience? Yeah. Well, where where do the people that like the thing that you like already hang out, right? Is there already a forum for people that are into, okay, my dad is into knife making, right? Turns out blacksmiths don't really use the internet that much. <laughs> so he's had trouble finding people that want to read his book and read his blog. Um, on the other hand, people that do knitting apparently gather in many, many places on the internet. So you can go to someone's Etsy page or their Pinterest page and you can put on Pinterest, right, you make an album art for all of your shows. Well, you could put the album art for your show as the pin for your Pinterest, and then the link goes back to your pin page where you now have your podcast episode listed. So depends on who you're talking to. It's really community dependent, right? For the Drupal show, there's actually a section of the official Drupal project page they call the Drupal Planet, where everybody who writes a blog post about Drupal pretty much ends up there. So when we were first getting started, we got thousands of people listening to the show because we got to got our stuff listed on that aggregator site. So go to the place where the people that you're looking for are already hanging out. And I guarantee you that they are somewhere, right? And if, if it's a matter of becoming friends with someone, make sure that you're participating in their community, right? Don't just go over there and be like, hey, check out this thing, and then leave. Right? If, if I walked into this presentation right now and said, buy a car from me, and then I left, nobody would ever buy a car from me. Right? You have to come. You have to be part of the conversation. You have to be part of the community. You have to sit. And you have to listen to other people, what they're saying. You have to reply to them. You have to have an intelligent conversation. And then you can say, oh, yeah, and by the way, I sell cars. Right? Exactly. Participation is really the name of the game with podcasting. And if someone offers to participate with you, then make sure that you are as welcoming of them as you would want them to be of you. Otherwise, you're not doing it right. Especially if they have a different viewpoint, right? If you think that all cars should be red and they come along and they say, like, I'm in the blue car camp, and you say, well, you're stupid. I don't want to talk to you. That's not very friendly, is it? That's not a way to earn new subscribers. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, the slides are up there. And if you guys want to talk some more, we will be talking downstairs. Thank you. Thank you, people on Google, all seven of you. I'm going to leave you now. <laughs>